0: Coming to you from the heart of Silicon Valley, this is Cuda
1: Confidential,
0: the official podcast of the San Jose Barracuda, AHL affiliate of the San Jose Sharks. Now, here's your host, Nick Nolenberger. Hello, Barracuda fans, and welcome to another edition of Cuda Confidential. I'm Nick Nolenberg. In this episode, we'll recap the Barracuda's last two games through highlights, and we'll talk to Jared Shaffron who serves as the Ontario Reigns insider. The Barracuda and Reign will face off for the first time this upcoming Friday. <laughs> After its worst loss in franchise history on Tuesday, 10-1 at the hands of the Stockton Heat, the Barracuda hit the ice again on Saturday afternoon for the first of back-to-back games against the Abbotsford Canucks. It marked the first home game since November 20th as the Barracuda embarked on a three-game homestand. After Ryan Merkley was called for tripping at 5-25 of the first period, Abbotsford forward Sheldon Rumpel would give the Canucks a 1-0 lead just 13 seconds into the power play. Abbotsford ninth in the league on the power play at 20.8%. Cam Schilling left half wall, Nick Patin. Works it back to Schilling. One time Ontario rain, Right side, Rempel, shot, scores! Sheldon Rempel picks the top short side corner and the Abbotsford Canucks draw first blood. It comes on their first power play. And the time to go on five, 38. It's more of the same on the penalty kill for the Barracuda. Less than two and a half minutes later, former Barracuda forward Vincent Arsenal would score his second goal of the year, both against San Jose. Now headman Fiend Arsenal works down the flank, shoots, and scores. Vincent Arsenal wires one under the right arm of Zach Sachenko. And Arsenal's got his second goal this season against the Barracuda. At 14:48 of the first, Phil Giuseppe will get a pass from Nick Batan, move from left to right, and beat Zach Sachenko to give the Canucks a 3-0 lead. Taken away by the Canucks, slapped ahead, Rumpel, he's got Patan into the offensive zone, near side, Jeppe, He scores. On the backhand, it's a 3-0 Abbotsford lead. Just 23 seconds into the second period, Abbotsford would blow the game wide open with their fourth goal. As Justin Bailey would get a pass up the left wing side, racing on net, and cash in for his fourth of the year. Hooked away by Spencer Martin, the goaltender. Klimovic will skate it up the wing. He'll go rank wide. He's got a man down the left wing. Bailey works in, scores! Justin Bailey sneaks one Inside the post, and he goes hard into the corner boards. All gas, no break. At 23 seconds into the second period, the Canucks have a 4-0 lead. At 7.32, Adam Raska would power his way to the net and jam home his first of the year, cueing the teddy bears as the Barracuda cut into the lead 4-1. Gayley scored 23 seconds into the second period to give the Canucks a 4-0 lead. That's still where we stand. Now, Adam Raska gets under his man, works down the wing. Power move to the net. The save is made. but puck is past the goal line. They score. A pinball job cues the Teddy Bears as they begin to rain down here at the SAP Center. I think it's going to be Adam Raska's goal. If it is, it's his first of his AHL career. It comes at the 7.32 mark. What a dazzling power move by Adam Raska. But at 2.58 of the third period, Tristan Nielsen would give Abbotsford back a three-goal advantage. All held in by the Canucks. Put towards the net, they score. Tristan Nielsen backhands one in. A failed clear and up by the Barracuda. And the Canucks make it 5-1. And Spencer Martin would make it back-to-back wins against the Barracuda, turning aside 27 of the 28 shots he faced. So after a 5-1 loss on Saturday afternoon, the Barracuda will have just over 24 hours before they'd be right back on the ice to take on the same Abbotsford bunch. And in the first period, at the 3:37 mark, Nick Chichek would wind one in from the right point to snap a 13-game goalless drought he give the Barracuda a 1-0 lead. Now Mober pulls the trigger. That's blocked. Recovered and possessed Shelman Angle shot over the target. Flushes around the glass. Held in Chichek. Bank back down the wall for Shelman. Back to Chichek. Midpoint. Blickfeld. Save is made. D Pietro. A-Kadakas does not have his stick. That's Schilling. He'll get one from a forward. Chichek from downtown. At 10.05 of the first period, again it was Vincent Arsenal making it points in four consecutive games and lighting a lamp for the second straight game, his third goal against the Barracuda. Phil DiGiuseppe, Giuseppe also scored yesterday, has it, throws it on net, and guess who? It's Arsenal. He scores. Vincent Arsenal has his third goal against the Barracuda this season. Goals in back to back games for the one time Barracuda forward. Exactly 1 minute and 50 seconds later, though, on the power play, Scott Reedy would score his team-leading 10th goal of the year and his AHL best 6th on the power play. Back to the left point for Ryan Merkley. He'll walk the line. Right-handed shot left side for Reedy. Put it through the 5-hole! They score! It looked like it went off the skate of an Abbotsford Canuck and through the 5-hole. DiPietro... The Barracuda would take a 2-1 lead into the first intermission. It marked just the third time this season in which they led after 20 minutes. Just 45 seconds into the second period, though, Justin Bailey would make it goals in back-to-back games for the Canucks to tie it up at 2-2. Rumpel will flush one all the way around the wall. Up to that lap point for Stevens. Works it into the corner for Tan. Bakes it off the boards. Ends up getting it back to himself. Shelling pounds one on net scores! Camp Schilling from the left point, beats Alexei Melnichuk and Abbotsford's got a power play goal. But at 6.45, again on the power play, Sasha Shemilevsky would light the lamp for his third of the year to give the Barracuda back their lead. Barracuda in the midst of a three-game homestamp. There's a one-timer, rebound, they score! Shabalevsky cleans it up and the Barracuda their second power play goal and they're back up by one. And then on the penalty kill, Evan Weinger would race up ice down the left side, charge his way to the net, and jam one in for his fourth of the season, marking the Barracuda's first shorthanded goal of the year. Puck is ripped up and out of the zone. Sheldon near side for Weinger, could have a shorthanded chance, works into the forehand, he scores! What a finish! Evan Weiger and the Barracuda have a two goal lead. It's their first shorthanded goal of the year. Jaden Holm Gowaks would put the game out of reach for the Canucks. As the Barracuda would light the lamp for the third time on the power play, Scott Reedy and Evander Kane picked up the assists. Yeah, a minute. Holm he scores it's another power play goal the third of the night for the Barracuda and they've got a three goal advantage it'll be Scott Reedy and Evander Kane picking up the assists and the Barracuda have scored the last three after Abbotsford had tied it early in the second period with the win the Barracuda snapped a three-game skid and a three-game skid on home ice and Alexei Melnichuk who came into the game late on Saturday Picked up the win, turning aside 17 of the 19 shots he faced, snapping a two-game losing skit. When we come back, we'll talk to Ontario Reign insider Jared Schaffrin. This is Cuda Confidential. You're listening to Barracuda Hockey. We're very pleased to be joined by Jared Jaffran, who is the rain insider for the Ontario rain. We haven't had a chance to play the rain because our first game was postponed due to some ice issues at the Toyota arena. But first of all, Jared, thank you for the time. How are things going?
1: I'm great, Nick. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, we, our ice is back up and running. Uh, had a game there and uh, and it was all good. Just a, a crazy circumstance that probably only would have happened. Uh, you know, you're not going to see it happen much, but, uh you know holiday thanksgiving and nobody was in the building and there was some insane wind and some power outages and uh yeah the ice the ice wasn't there the next day so uh it was it was unfortunate that we had that game canceled but everything is is good to go and we're we're happy to see you guys this weekend
0: do you know who walked into the building first i'm sure it was it was building uh folks who were were getting there early but do you know who discovered that all of a sudden they realized the ice was gone
1: I think one of our equipment managers may have been the one uh, I know he got there at around six, six thirty in the morning and uh, there was just water everywhere and building security uh, hadn't, I, I don't know what, how they didn't see or what, what they were doing, but the, there's only one person on and obviously, you know, on Thanksgiving, nobody really wants to be at the, at the ice rink if there's nothing going on there. So I think had it been any other day of the year, maybe, maybe Christmas would be the other day. Uh, any other day besides those, everyone would have noticed right away, and it would have gotten fixed. But uh, yeah, it was a, a kind of a crazy morning running around, just seeing if if it was possible to play, and unfortunately, it wasn't. So it was uh, wild.
0: Well, it was almost fitting. I don't know if you you have any, any uh, background on what the Barracuda have dealt with over the last what year and a half between a, a Texas trip and, in which we hit some of the worst weather that yeah. state's ever had. We almost got stuck in Abbotsford a couple of weeks prior to when we were going to play you guys because of some historical flooding there. And then the ice melted. So it was just it was just par for the course. I think everybody was like, OK, well, just another little speed bump in the road. Yeah, I
1: saw that story last year with you guys and read, read your account of it. And uh, it was, I mean, yeah, those things, you'll always remember those things. They're, they're just, they're not necessarily fun when, when you get in them, but I think you always grow closer and, you know, the team, has a special bond when, when you go through things like that
0: hey th- those are things you remember right you've been there you you were in the echl prior as a broadcaster now you're in the american hockey league you know what it entails when it comes to minor pro hockey and, and sure. the type of travel uh that we all deal with and, and the adventure it can be but i'm looking forward to the first matchup this upcoming friday at the toyota arena between the barracuda and the ontario rain this is an ontario team last year and, and you weren't with the team last year but you've seen it firsthand this season filled with talent this is an LA organization that over the last handful of drafts have really made a point of trying to fill the cupboards with with highly rated highly talented prospects we've seen a lot of them already contribute at the National Hockey League level last year was a struggle though there's no doubt about it with as much youth as there was on the roster a truncated season playing out of El Segundo instead of out of Ontario there were a lot of moving parts and the rain when it was everything was said and done, it ended up being, I would say, somewhat of a disappointing season in the sense that the team wasn't all that successful, but a lot of development was had. But this year, it's been a different story. A lot of the same pieces, yet they're in year number two, and that can make a huge difference. What has kind of been the key to the group so far? They said the second spot in the division, they're in the top five in the Western Conference, and they're right now, if, if we were in the playoffs, they'd be one of the top teams. So what has kind of been the key to turning things around this year?
1: I think the depth in the group, and you mentioned it, you know, how many prospects and how many talented individuals, I mean, there's just, if somebody's having an off night, it's not a big deal because there's about seven other, eight other forwards that are high end guys who could be playing top minutes for any team in the league. So the offense has been, has been there for this team all season. Uh, They're averaging about four points, uh, four goals per game. And, you know, the defense has been good too, but it's just been the fact that, the forwards are so dominating. They're quick. They have speed. Uh, they really keep the puck out of their own zone just by attacking all the time. So, uh, especially earlier in the first ten games of the season, you know, if I was saying it to everybody, look, if the rain play their game, they're probably not going to lose. If they're on their game, they don't really have to worry about the opponents too much. Yeah, there's a few guys you want to, you know, be aware of when they're on the ice, and there's high end talent on every team, but you know, the, the, the depth that the rain have when they throw four lines at you, it's just really tough to be able to kind of counter that. So I think that's been the biggest strength, but in the beginning of the year, again, it was every phase of the game. It was scoring a lot of goals. The power play was number one in in the league. The defense was playing well in really all three zones. And the goaltending was great too, between Matthew Volta and, and Garrett Sparks. So everything was clicking. I would say over the last month, it's, it's taken a step back a little bit. I think it's unfair to expect the team to be playing, you know, 900 percentage point hockey for the whole season. But uh, ever since we, we had a trip to Tucson about a month ago, right, right about a month ago from now, and it's been splits every weekend so, ever since then. So it hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been as smooth as maybe the first couple of weeks of the season. And we were swept uh, by Abbotsford a couple weeks ago, which is a really tough team up, up at their place. So I think the rain are trying to, you know, regain a little bit of what they had in the first couple of weeks, but which is very tough to sustain.
0: Yeah, the team five and five over their last 10 games, still sitting at the second spot in the Pacific and, and in the top five third overall in the Western Conference. As you look at this Ford group, because there's so many good young players and, and really a glimpse maybe into the future of the L.A. Kings. But you, I want to start a little bit with veterans because you've got Brett Sutter back again. He's he just always a staple in, in the Ontario end lineup, continues to, to provide an offensive punch too, but just such a valuable leader. We had a guy kind of filling a similar role a handful of years ago who has since retired in, in John McCarthy. But Brett just provides so much from a leadership standpoint. From your experience, how have you seen it firsthand how he plays just a big impact on some of these young guys and really making sure the team as a whole is unified and going in the correct direction?
1: I think when you have someone with that much experience who's been around that many locker rooms, obviously his family as a whole, you know, he grew up in locker rooms and everybody in in his family. So I think that just puts guys at ease when you have someone who, when you walk into the locker room, it's a leader. You have, you have a couple different leaders. It's not like he's the only one, but he is a captain. I mean, he has been in Ontario long enough. He has the respect of everyone. He has the respect of the coaches. He has the respect of everybody in the Kings organization, all the young prospects, when they come into the room, you know, he does things the right way and he demands, you know, th- there's a high level of expectation of when you come into the room, the, how you conduct yourself and what you bring to the, to the practice or, or game every single day, when you come into the building, when you come into the facility, you know, there's a standard and he helps uphold that because he's just been around and he knows exactly what it takes on a a day-to-day basis. And I think like what you were talking about last year, having the struggle that stuck with him because he's not staying around here this far into his career to lose. He wants to win hockey games. That's, that's why he's playing. He wants to win a championship. He wants to, you know, help solidify the, the end of his career. And, and just, I think this year has meant so much to him, the success that the team has had because he wants it so badly he, he that's why he's still playing and he has a great relationship with some of these younger guys it, it's just really cool to see how they respect him and you know but they're but they're at the same time their peers you know he's he's a lot older than some of these young young 18 19 you know he his stall is about two three spaces away from quentin byfield and, you know, they're talking all the time and, and they're getting along, but you know, it's like Byfield's like, you know, a little bit more than half his age. So it's, it's definitely a unique relationship, but, but he's incredible to be around.
0: The two big, big prospects on the team, Quentin Byfield, Alex Turcott. I know last year for Turcotte was a little bit slow moving. He was off to a tremendous start to start this year. And I know Byfield was dealing with some of an injury situation. To start this year. Byfield's a man, though, right? He's 18, 19 years old, but he's built like a, a grown man. And that's one of the big reasons I think the Kings uh, were so intrigued when they, they took him at, at the second spot overall just last year. Those two players, uh, those are going to be the big talking points. What have you thought of their games? We'll start with Turcott. I know it's been a little bit of a kind of a slow go over the last handful of games, but um, what have you thought of, of Turcotte and also Byfield as he's coming back uh, to full health?
1: Sure. Turcott, for me, you know, I think the numbers really, you know what? I'm going to talk about that a little bit for both of these guys, because again, when you think about this team, there are so many options up front. It's not like one guy is just getting the puck all the time. And the most consistent option has been Martin Furk, who's the team's leading goal scorer. But for Alex Turcott, the first, like we said, you know, 15 games of the season, he is playing either number one center, or number two center for one of the best teams in the American Hockey League. And so, yes, he wasn't a point of game, which I think everyone expects your number five overall pick. He should be putting up tons of points and stunning offensive numbers. And it wasn't like he wasn't helping the offense either. I think he had 10 or 11 points. But to me, this is a team that was winning almost every single night, and he was playing 1C or 2C every single night. And so that means he's counted on in all areas of the ice to be dependable, to play you know offensively but also to, to play defensively he's killing penalties he plays in the power play so if you're and again you're number 5 overall i think people expect that that prospect to be in the NHL pretty soon and i think he's pretty close but i think it, it was not like he was playing poorly <laughs> like the team was winning every night and he was playing a, a top 6 role so To me, that shows that he was contributing in other ways. wasn't just about the offense. It was all over the ice. What was he doing? And the team was winning all those games. Now, he was injured in practice a few weeks back. He did not play in our Saturday game against Bakersfield last week. He did not play this past weekend against San Diego. He has been practicing with the team this week, and he was in a red jersey, a non-contact jersey, but – Actually today, he was his first day with a full practice. So I'm not sure if he's ready for the weekend, but he may be able to make his return this weekend. And and obviously that's the rain really want to see him back in action, both to develop his skills and also to hopefully win some more games. Then when you throw it over to Quentin Byfield, as you said, injury, uh, he was at the rookie showcase in Arizona, got kind of banged up there, then got healthy from that started in the Kings training camp for main camp looked amazing, looked like he was going to make the team and be a full-time player for the Kings right off the start of the season. And in the second to last preseason game for LA, uh, unfortunately had a a really nasty injury against the boards uh, and so had to shut it down. So he was rehabbing for a good eight, nine weeks before he was healthy to, to return to action. And when he was healthy, they decided, you know what, he needs to get his speed back up together and um, you know, he's not ready to jump right into the NHL again right away. So uh, coming down to Ontario, we've been lucky to to see him in practice, lucky to have everybody's eyes on him, top end prospect. And he played his first game on Friday this past week against San Diego. and man, I, I thought he was the best I've ever seen him play. Seriously, he was, I couldn't believe how good he was. I thought he'd be a little tentative after so much time off and in, in a tough injury like that. And he was the, I would say the best forward in, in the Ontario lineup. He actually didn't register an official shot on net in that game but he was everywhere winning face offs he was killing penalties he did some great things on the penalty kill he had some amazing passes in the offensive zone to set up some guys so I thought he was just all around the best forward for the rain in his first game back he then played the next night um, had some good looks as well and expected to to be in the lineup this weekend and again we're we're lucky to have him. I don't know how much longer he's going to be with the rain. It's it's If he keeps looking like he, he did on Friday, the Kings are going to scoop him up pretty quickly, and he's going to be in an NHL lineup. But it's nice to, to be able to watch him and be able to, to you know admire what he's doing at, at age 19.
0: We're talking to Jared Shaffron, who is the rain insider. You talked about Quentin Byfield. I think, it, as you mentioned, it's only going to be a matter of time before he's contributing up top in the NHL. We've seen this with the Sharks, as I quickly want to ask another question on Turcotte. You've said he's played one C, two C, he's been, you know, a top line center iceman for you. So he's going against the, the other team's best lines. Do you see any sort of situation where the LA Kings call him up, you know, maybe not right away, but but eventually in, in the near future, and bump him to the wing just to simplify things and allow him to really use his skill set?
1: I think that could happen. I think they've done that with some different prospects that they've had over the years. Gabriel Villardi, who's in our lineup has kind of had the option of playing both. Uh, I think he's comfortable playing both. I think Turcott is comfortable playing both. And I think the Kings still see him as a center, which is why they haven't moved him over in, in the rain lineup. Uh, and uh, it's just – I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think that he was getting pretty close to a call-up before this injury. They had two available, available spaces, and he got hurt like the day before that that would have – that he might have gotten an opportunity instead – T.J. Tynan went up, played a couple games. Jared Anderson-Dolan went up. He is still with the team right now, uh, played in one game. And maybe if Turcotte was healthy, that could have been maybe one of his spots. I think right now I'm going to say the Kings still see him as a center just because I haven't seen them move him over. Um, And I think they're in no rush to call him up to then move him to wing just because they want him to be in the NHL so badly. I don't think that he is at a pace – at a – Place in his development just yet where it's he needs to be in the nhl right away if it gets to that point where he is really knocking on the door so hard that they have to bring him up and they really want to see what he does in the nhl and they don't have a center spot available because yeah you look at the the king's lineup and you know they've got andre kopitar they got Phil Den- philip deno They've got now Quentin Byfield's going to be up there soon. He's going to take up one of those center roles. And then, you know, Alex Turcott is, where is he fitting in, in in one of those top three spots? So I think it's fair to say that there's a good chance that does happen at some point, but hasn't happened yet. So we'll just see what, uh, what the Kings decide to do.
0: Well, it, it's not a bad thing, right? We've seen it over, over the years. And we see it almost every single season. It's not a terrible thing to allow for a player to really, really mature and develop in the age. will continue to marinate to his game. Talking about some veterans, you mentioned T.J. Tynan. You mentioned Martin Furk. The fact they brought in T.J. Tynan as the AHL's MVP from a season ago, they bring him in. I think that what that shows me from my perspective is that they want to win at the AHL level. Now, he's a depth four that can play in the National Hockey League as well, but he's going to be in the American Hockey League as one of the top players. and It's just kind of an indication that Rob Blake and the brass within the LA Kings organization, they want to win and they want the young players in a winning environment in the American Hockey League. Is that safe to say? Absolutely. I, no doubt about it. And I think what he does, and
1: I think, you, you know, at the, when they bring him in, he knew John Robleski as well, both guys having gone to Notre Dame, both with a close tie to the Notre Dame program. So I think John was able to speak to the work ethic that Tynan has, not just his talent and the numbers that he's going to put up, but the way that he's going to practice and the way that he's going to force some of these young guys to practice and they're not going to come in every day and think I'm the next thing. I'm, I'm big time. I'm going to come in and I'm going to fool around and practice and do what I need to do. And then I'm just going to make the NHL. I think having a guy like TJ there to push them a little further and say, no, you can't just show up and not, you know, not take it, not take practice seriously and just act like, yeah, we're a great team and we're winning games. no, it's about having the right habits and practice. It's not just about winning games on the ice. It's about doing the things you need to do to get better, to reach your potential and hopefully get called up. So having a guy like TJ, who is all business, no nonsense. He comes in, in the morning, takes care of what he, and again, he kind of fits right in line with that Brett Sutter and some of these older guys, Cameron Gauntz that's been on the, on the team, Martin Furk, same thing. Those guys are the first guys in the morning. They take care of their business. They're they're in the gym, they're stretching, they're working out They're taking care of their body eating the right things so when you have those guys around such a young prospect group those kind of things rub off on them and they can see look well TJ is the reigning MVP because he does all these things correctly and they don't let the young guys take a, a minute off everybody is is on them saying no it don't waste this talent you got to be working hard
0: speaking of veteran acquisitions Garrett sparks kind of an underrated offseason acquisition a guy who has a Calder cup Championship ring on his finger during his time in Toronto. He's bounced around the American Hockey League. He has NHL experience. Matt and Volalta, I think, last year had his moments where you're like, okay, maybe there's something here. There was other, other moments where he struggled. How big has it been for Volalta's development having a guy like Garrett Sparks to share the net with this year?
1: Well, I can't speak to last year. And I know that everybody said, you know, Volalta's been lucky. He's had Cal Peterson, uh, JF Barube's been here. There's been some really good veteran goaltenders. But I can say that this year, those two are inseparable. Volta and Sparks, man, they, and most goalies, right. They're, they're always together and everything, but uh, they've just had an unbelievable relationship. Matt really takes what Garrett has to say to heart. And I think they feed off of each other really well. I think Sparks is, as you said, someone who has so much experience that, you know, he doesn't just say something without having that experience to back it up. And it's just been a really great relationship to watch. They are constantly throwing things at each other. They, they, they're by each other's side. They're uh, they're definitely a good group together. And I, I don't, I think that Matt Villalta is playing well, regardless of, of that relationship with, with Sparks. I think the key was for him to just come in with much more confidence from every, from everything I've heard is last year, he just got a little rattled that slow start. He started thinking, you know, it's a, it was more of a mental game physically, Everyone knew he could make the saves, but he came in, had a really good summer, started off the year just having a good relationship with his coaches and I think some of the changes they made during the offseason to his game, he's moving around much less. Like I watched some video on highlights from last year and he was just out of position a lot and it wasn't necessarily – I think just being square to the shooter, maybe just less is more a little bit instead of trying to be so athletic and make crazy saves – just be in the right position, be a little simpler with his game. And then when you need to, you know, make some reactionary stops when play plays break down, he can, but he's been much more compact and it served him a lot better. And again, the team in front of him has been better too, but there have been some nights where he's been called on to make some huge saves late in the game. And, and he stepped up.
0: I think with goaltending and in, in like defense, sometimes it just takes longer. You know, we want we want quick results for these young players, but it just takes it takes multiple years sometimes. But uh, we talked about it a little bit off there. Uh, both Gareth Sparks, Matt Villalta, the goaltending coach, uh, Matt Millar, they refer to themselves as the goaltenders union. You grow, wrote a great piece uh, on that. If, if folks want to check it out, it was on uh, uh, theAHL.com. You can also find it on the LA Kings website. So, um, Awesome stuff, Jared. Jared Schaffer, who covers uh, both the Ontario Reign, a little bit of the LA Kings, but works for the Reign. Uh, some great insight. I look forward to, to uh, seeing you again on Friday and, uh, and and look forward to seeing these teams battle. I mean, it's, it's a Barracuda team that is desperate for points. It's a really talented uh ontario team but these two teams they always bring the best out of each other as a as a socal norcal rivalry but uh thanks again for the time man we really do appreciate it
1: thanks nick it was great to be on and looking forward to a a good good night on friday should be a a really tight tight battle
0: a big thanks to jared chaffron a reminder the barracuda are back on the ice on wednesday night to take on the colorado eagles and then we'll embark on a four-game road trip beginning in ontario on friday Wednesday's game starts at 7, while pregame coverage on the Sharks' audio network and on AHL TV beginning at 6.30. I'm Nick Nolenberger saying thanks for listening and so long until next time.